I've been talking to you a lot about the goodness of God lately, right? We've just been just soaking in His goodness. And now I want to move into a, a series on, on love. And I want to tell you, before I get started, I'm, I'm not talking about this Cupid kind of love, okay? I know that Valentine's Day is coming somewhere in February, and men, we're going to really try to remember that, right? <laughs> Guys, February. February, Valentine's Day, okay? But I'm really not talking about that kind of romantic kind of love either. The, the kind of love I want to talk to you today is a, a love that is about knee-deep in mud, that will go through uh, trenches and ditches, that has a little smell of smoke about it, if you know what I mean. It's like, it's, it's come close to hell, it seems. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it's been pulled from that. And so I want to talk to you about a, a love. And, and men, I understand that there are times when we talk about love, we just think we're headed to that romantic end of things and, and we shut down. But I can tell you, this is a, a love that I can really get behind. This is a, a kind of love, when you talk about it this way, I'm like, yeah, there's a, there's a place for, for me in that. It's, i got to warn you, this, the kind of love I'm talking about can get you killed. Because it's the very kind of love that took our Savior to the cross and then gave His life for who? For us. It's a selfless kind of love. I understand in the culture that we live in, most every way we define love in our culture is selfishly. But I'm talking about a selfless love today. And so I want to take you back to some Jewish roots of love because I think our view of love has been so distorted that I want to take you back to the way the Jews looked at love. And, and I believe they still look at it this way today, I believe. And then after that, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you, you need some time, you can go ahead and start on 1 Corinthians 13. But here's the Jewish definition of love. It is the emotional pleasure that we experience when we understand and focus on the virtues of another. Hmm. Y'all are, are still listening to that, right? Yeah, I'm going to say that again, okay? So it's the emotional pleasure that we receive when we focus on the virtue of of another. So real love is seeking the value, trying to find value in the other person. Now that's telling because it says that if I'm looking at the value and the virtue in a person, then I can begin to fall more and more in love with that person. But if I choose not to see their virtue, not their value, not their worth, and I choose to look at their, their faults, their deficiencies, the way that they've wronged us. The more I begin to concentrate on those things, the more I will actually distance myself from the person that I once loved. I will distance myself from them to such an extent that before long I find out, you know what, I don't even think I like them anymore. You ever done that? You just woke up one morning and you looked over at your spouse and you went, I don't think I like them anymore. What happened in the eight hours that I was asleep? 
What happened in those eight hours? Nothing happened in those eight hours. There were some hours in between where you were focusing more on faults and failures and deficiencies, and that thing just caught up with you that morning when you woke up. Now, I'll tell you, you cannot control how people act. Many of us have tried to do that and found ourselves in a great dilemma, trying to control how my my children respond, my spouse responds, people at work respond. You don't have any control over that. I tell you what, you do have control over that. You have control over what you're looking at and the people that you say you love. Now, who are you supposed to love? I can tell you that if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you've got to say everyone. You don't have the luxury of picking and choosing and saying, I I like that person, but I don't like that one much. The the, The problem is in the one you like, you're seeing the virtue. Are you with me? That's what you're noticing in that person. The person you don't like, you've gotten caught up in what they're not to you. The things that they've done to you. And so because of that, our view is completely in control. I really do get to decide every week, do I want to love Chris Gaddy or not? I don't know why they're laughing. <laughs> Kathy, why are they laughing? Why is it every week? Every time we face a person, we get to decide what we're going to look at in them. What, what we're going to notice. And so with that being said, then, I want to read. I'm going to follow the advice of Pat, who said, why would you just read one verse? Read the whole thing. Can I just read the whole chapter for you? I, I'm, you know, sometimes we, we tend to disconnect when we read Scripture, and I don't know why. But I'll tell you, this is one of the most beautifully penned chapters in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. If Just from my own personal take, I would say the most beautifully penned chapter in the Old Testament is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Beautiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, some of the most beautiful words have ever been put to pen to paper. I want to go right up to chapter 12, the very end of verse 31, because that's the segue into this next chapter, and it says... But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. I've been meditating on that for some time now. A more excellent way. Do you want to know a more excellent way of living life than it is to live the life of love that is described in chapter 13? Here we go. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. and Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, 
but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are the gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is, tell me, love. Not Cupid love. A love that chooses to see the best. I want to just hang out on a few words in verse 8. It says, sorry, in verse 7, that love believes all things and hopes all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things. I can tell you that when we look for love, we can see it sometimes in humans, but I, I think it is us reflecting the heart of God. The danger is when we, we try to say that's how God loves. Does that make sense? There, there are some places we can go and tap into the heart of God. One of those places is a mama. A mama. Mama, you love them babies, don't you? It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter if they're newborn or if they're 40 years old. My mama's sitting over there going, that's right. I see her. She's right there on the third row. She goes, that's right. It, it doesn't matter. You introduce me anywhere in the world. She said, that's my baby. That's my boy. There is something in the heart of not only a, a, a mother, but a father too, right? Uh, that, that says, I love this child. And you will look past an infinite amount of dirt in doing it. You think about that child when they grow, when they're first born, they can't do anything of significant value, can they? All they do is take, 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 take from you. And you love it. You will stay up all night long feeding and changing diapers. There is something about that family love. It is that I that we choose to love. Even when in unfortunate circumstances we have to give children up for adoption. You never hear a parent have a child and say, you know what? I don't think I like that one. That's not what they do, right? Even in adoption, when a child has to be given away, it is because more often than not, that parent says, that child deserves more than I can give them right now. That child deserves something, and I want to put them in a better place because if I can put them in a better place, they'll have a better life than I can provide. And so I'm going to do this difficult thing of even giving away in order that they might have life. But nobody looks at their own child and goes, I just don't like them. You know, I, even as they're growing up, there are times you look at them and you go, hmm, now I think I don't like them. 
Now I think I don't like them. But do you love them? Of course you do. It goes without saying, right? A teacher calls you up on the phone or a, a coach calls you up and says, we need to have a conference because your child's been doing something. And you go, my child? Hold on. You know, back in the day, and now unfortunately back in the days when I grew up, is if the teacher, you got in trouble at school, you got in trouble at home. You know, you, you came home and you found out that you got in trouble, you got in trouble again. I think there's something inside of us, even as parents. I think we've got it a little bit off. But nowadays, some of you who are teachers, you know if you call a teacher conference to talk about something a child done, mamas and daddies walk in the room, oh, not my child. And something in that is they want to see past the, the dirt to get to this person that they love. And they think at that moment, you're not seeing the value of that child. So as parents, there's something about us. Maybe mamas, it's because they come out of you. That they feel like they're a part of you. That when somebody's talking about them, they're talking about you. I wonder if when we're talking about God's children. That if he doesn't look at the ones we're talking about and say, oh, wait a minute, excuse me just a minute. Did they come out of you? Because they came out of me. I breathed life into them. I am the spark of life in them. And so when you talk about them, you're talking about me. When you talk about the church, you do realize you are talking about the bride of Christ. Just say something about a man's bride. And he will cut you. You could have said anything about him and it would have been fine. Talk about his wife. Even the one he's about to get divorced with. <laughs> he will cut you. Because there's something that's inside of us is that they're a part of me. The problem is we don't see ourselves connected to other people. Even in, even in a situation, you ever watched a case in court where a young man is being sentenced because of murder? And you ever watched a mama come in his defense? I bet if something happened like that in this room, as mamas, you would do the very same thing. You would come to their defense. You would not, you would not defend the actions that they had and call that good because you know it's not. But you would beg on behalf of that child to that judge, judge, please have mercy. God, please have mercy. Shouldn't we have so much mercy on other people? And what I'm telling you is we can, we simply choose not to. You see, parents, they're mining. And I don't know if you know anything about mining or not. I don't know much, but I've looked at it a little bit. For those who are mining for gold, they will dig through an insurmountable amount of dirt in order to find gold. Will they not? They will dig deep and they will dig wide and long in order to find these minute pieces of gold. Why? Because they see the virtue, the value in the gold. And they're like, we will dig until we get it because it's value. Those who are di digging for precious metals, they'll dig and dig through mounds of dirt in order to get to the precious metals. The same for gems as they're dealing for gems. Now, here's the thing. Miners are digging for what is precious. They ain't digging for dirt. Did you get it? 
Miners are digging for gold and diamonds, platinum, gems. They ain't looking for dirt. They're actually digging past the dirt in order to get to what is valuable. I'm telling you, that's what love does. Love believes all things, hopes all things, looks at any person I put in front of your face, and you should say, if I just dig far enough, I will find the gold. Because everybody has the breath of God in them. Now, occasionally I will bring a little show and tell, which I have done today. Somebody, can you tell me what's, what's that? Dirt, leaves. Y'all see anything else? Dirt, leaves, twigs, pine needles. Dirts, leaves, twigs, pine needles. A lot of times when we look at people's lives, we get real good at seeing the dirt. Does that sound right? That there are a lot of times that we get really, really good at seeing the dirt. But what that scripture is telling us is that we're supposed to believe and hope in people that it, there is good in them. One, we got to get them to Jesus. Okay? Because without it, they stay covered in the dirt. But our role as parents, as spouse, as people of the church, of people of, of, of this world, what we're supposed to learn to do is begin to, to dig. And what happens as people begin to, to dig is they'll get up a, a little scoop of dirt. And sometimes you gotta, you got to sieve past that dirt and you got to keep looking. And you're like, I know there's something in there. Some, oh, look at that. Look at that. Huh. Now, now, see, you, you wouldn't have seen that in most people because in, in most people, the treasures are buried inside of them. The, the treasures buried inside of them, a lot of times it's in seed form. It's not even fully developed yet. There's gifts in this church that, that aren't even developed yet. They're, they're in seed form. And you need somebody to dig down and find that gift inside of you and bring it out. And then as you do... You know, Scripture talks about we've been washed by the Word, right? Jesus took up a towel and He began to, to wash. And Peter said, just wash all of me. When you're baptized, I think you go in and you get dipped, immersed. You get, you get consumed by... And then He says, and you need this sort of daily cleansing. You know? Now, what you don't need is for somebody to come around and say, you know what? You almost clean, but there's still... See that dirt right there? <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw that or not, but because I'm spiritual and because I love you, I'm just doing it because I love you. Because I you, you need to do something about that. No, I think what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take the Word of God, which is the truth and love, and we minister to them by calling them who they are, not who they're not. I bet you there's something inside of you that wants to be around people who will call you what you are, not what you're not. But the problem is sometimes you gotta, you got to dig. And so you, you dig around. And as you're digging, what you have to realize is, I'm not digging for dirt. Somewhere I think Christians made a mistake 
when we thought that our assignment was to dig for dirt. That we were supposed to call out the sin in everybody's life. The problem with calling out the sin in everybody's life is that that's the example of the law. It tells you what's right and what's wrong. And a lot of times we've been right about that. But it says that the law can't bring righteousness. You needed something else. You needed a Savior. Jesus. Who would come. And what does He do? He moves right in with the sinners and the tax collectors. He moves right in with the prostitutes. The ones that everybody else, all they saw was the dirt. And he moves in and he starts mining. He starts, he starts digging. And he's looking. No, that ain't it. I'm tired of looking. Forget it. That's about how patient we are sometimes in our digging, isn't it? We dig once or twice. Move around in a person's life just a little bit. If we don't see anything that seems of value, oh, how easy it is for we to drop them and move on. Yeah, you can't give up because you know what? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Says, if I just keep digging, I'll find it because if they breathe in, there's something of God in them. And my, my, look what happens. There you go. You find something else. But now what, what happens with this dirt? Because I know that there's some people in the room. You're concerned by the dirt. Now come on. Y'all all sitting there going, I hope he don't think it's me. <laughs> I hope he doesn't think I'm the one that looks for dirt. You know what? I don't care because I'm not looking for that in your life. But what I want to tell you is, though, we do have to do something with the dirt. We can't look at the dirt and say, you know what? We can't really look for the gems and stuff, so we're just going to call the dirt good. Right? We'll, we'll just call the dirt good, which means we'll stop calling things that the Bible says is bad, bad. We'll, we'll just call it all good. The problem is those things are called bad not because God doesn't want us to have a good time. It's called bad because those things end up killing us. Everything that he says don't do has a really good reason for it. It's because at the end of the day, it will kill you. So I can't just look at a person's life and regardless of it, just look at the dirt and say, you know what, we're just going to call it all good. But there is something that we can do. I want to ask you to turn to... 1 Peter 4, 8. Listen to what it says. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Oh, what are we going to do with the dirt, y'all? What are, what are we going to do with the dirt? Listen to it again. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. You want to know what you do with the dirt? You got to cover it. You got you to cover it. Some of y'all are going, what? No, because if we cover it, it's acting like it's not there. And, and, and so, Kevin, I don't think that's a good idea to, to cover. And I, and I tried to figure out what in the world, what color am I going to cover it with? And I covered it with white 
Because actually, what has to, to cover this is the blood of Jesus, and that's red. But this crazy thing's happened is that when you wash something with blood, it becomes whiter than snow. <laughs> I don't know how it happens. <laughs> actually, I, I do know how it happens. It happens by way of forgiveness. You see, that's what the cross demonstrates. Ain't no mamby-pamsy kind of love. It's a love, I told you before, to get you killed. You see, what Jesus did is he shed his blood for all mankind. And he looked at us and he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. Forgiveness is yours. All you have to do is receive it. And then if you receive it, you receive this, this robe of righteousness that the Bible talks about is white. And yet there are still people that are like, but, but what about the dirt? But, but shouldn't we just peek up under there and see the dirt? If there's anybody that's hanging on to that mindset, then I would say, well, then let's just start with you. If, if, if we're concerned about the dirt and the dirt getting covered, if we don't like that idea that, that God would come and through His Son would cover the dirt in our life, let's just start with you. Is it still a good idea? You see, what? here's what happens. When, when we gossip, we're exposing the dirt. When you forgive, you cover the dirt. And the problem is, is if you gossip and all you focus in and all you talk about is the dirt, that at some point you can't help but get dirty yourself. You can't help but become cynical of the world. You can't help but get a critical spirit. You are going down a dangerous road if what you want to be is an inspector of dirt. So gossip exposes, but forgiveness covers it. It says, I love you enough that I don't want anybody else to see what I've seen. The gift of prophecy says, man, I see something, but I'm going to keep digging until I find the gold, the gem, and I'm going to cover the sin. Because if I expose the sin, it won't do this person any good, right? Is exposing sin ever done anybody any good other than make them feel shameful and condemned and destroyed inside? What has to happen is somebody has to say, I see something in you. I'm going to call that out and I'll cover the sin that's in your life. You know, people say that a church ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that? Ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. That word hypocrite, hypocrite comes from this thing called mask. And what they're saying is people come into church wearing masks. I will tell you that the whole world is hypocritical. That in most cases, people are wearing masks. It don't matter if it's in the church, in the workplace, on the ball field, people are wearing masks. And the reason they're wearing masks is because they say, if you know me for who I truly am, you won't have anything to do with me. It's the great fear of, of all humans, that fear of a lack of connection, which is if you really know me for who I am, you won't have anything to do with me. I know you told me you love me before. I know you said you love me, but we all know what that means, right? I love you when you're acting like I want you to act. When you're doing what I want you to do. 
But when you stop doing that, then I withdraw myself. And so the whole world is walking around with masks. And you know what they need? They don't need more inspectors of dirt. They need people who will call out the jewels in their lives, the gems in their life, that will cover the sin in their lives. That's why in Scripture in James it says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Now, naturally, we feel like, oh, I can't, I can't expose myself. I can't confess anything because if I confess... Lord, they'll throw me out. They'll talk about me. They'll, you know, I, I won't even be able to have a place. I won't be able to do the things that I used to do in the, in the church there. If people just knew. But what if we followed 1 Corinthians 13 and said that what God is asking you to do is that if you will confess it, He'll cover it. Hmm? You think if you cover it, you won't ever have to confess it. But it just won't go away, will it? No. You know why it won't go away? Because God is wanting you to confess it. Now, I don't suggest you stand up here in front of everybody and do that. Okay? I don't, I don't expect you to come up here. Uh, the Holy Spirit might lead that sometime. But I can tell you, there's some people out here hadn't been a Christian very long. They might not know how to handle that. You know? So, so when you confess, you confess with somebody who's mature, somebody who isn't a dirt digger, but a gem digger, a gem miner, right? If you're going to confess something, don't confess something to the dirt inspectors. Find you a gem miner who can find something good in you, and you confess it to them, and they'll make you whole because they'll call it out, and they'll cover that sin. And Jesus said, you just confess it, and I'll cover it. And then Romans 12.10 says this, show preference for one another. Another way of saying that is outdo each other in showing honor toward one another. Outdo each other in showing honor. How many times is it that when something bad happens, there's something inside of us that delights just a little bit? Miss Dieter, me and you are the only carnal people in the room. The rest are, it never happened to them. Yeah? I'm going to say it again. Maybe we can get a third person, okay? It's that when something bad happens to somebody, especially to the person that you haven't seen virtue in in a while, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that, that you can't help it but a smile grows on your face. You don't want anybody to see it, but you go, mm. You're like, mm, you kind of delight and maybe they're going to get what's coming. Right? But what Scripture says is honor one another. In fact, outdo each other in, in showing honor. Now, it didn't say flatter. Okay? Because honor is for their sake. Flattery is for yours. Do you get that? When I honor someone, I'm calling out the value in their life. When I flatter them, I usually want something in return. So we honor. And we try to outdo each other in, in showing honor. And as I was working through this message, I said, God, what is it that will convince anybody to do this? Because it's a lot of trouble. Can we just be honest? It's a lot of trouble. It's easier to see the dirt than it is to see the gems. That's why we tend to see the dirt, because it's just easier. And we like to take the path of easy. And so I said, God, what is it 
that would that would cause us to want to live this kind of life even before our enemies. Oh, I'm going to bring up that really inconvenient verse that says, what do you do with your enemies? Yeah, you love them. They're like, are we really supposed to, to love them? Oh, man. God, do, do you love them? Because, God, I don't think you should ask me to do anything that you ain't doing. Right? Some of y'all have not had that conversation with God, but you will now. I saw it. You're like, oh, he just gave me ammunition. When God says love them, and you go, I don't like them. He says love them anyway. You look at him and say, do you love them? Do you, do you love, does he love them? Do you know what he does? Last verse, Romans chapter 5. Verse 8 through 10 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, whoo, while we were full of dirt, <laughs> couldn't see anything but dirt, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, you know what justified means? Just as if I had never covered, covered by His blood, justified, then we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. <laughs> what did He say? There's, there's no wrath where there's blood because the blood's covered the sin. What sin? What sin? And people say, well, well, does God really see his sin? He just told you he died for you while you're in a sinner. Quit digging in the dirt. <laughs> Quit digging in the dirt. Keep going. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. While we were enemies. What does that mean? While we were against God. While we were kicking against Him. While we were blaming Him for everything going on in our life. While we're working for the other team. We're enemies. Not because He doesn't love us. Because we could care less about Him. We're, we were against Him. And what did He do he went mining he said i'm going to become them the word became flesh and it dwelled among them why because he said because if i become them i'll become part of them i'll become kindred of them that way then when we're talking about them we're talking about me and so he begins to pull out the gems and he begins to cover the sin he begins to honor. We always forget about that. It says, humble yourself before the Lord. We always tell people to humble themselves. Well, we don't tell them. It says, and I will exalt you in due time. We forget to tell the people that God is going to exalt you if he gets half a chance. If you don't get in the way. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to bring out the, the best in you. And so that's, that's my story. Is that your story? That he looked past our dirt? That when I was an enemy, he gave his life. And he covers my sin. Now some of you are thinking, now wait a minute. 
everything, criminal activity. <laughs> We're supposed to ignore that. What about, a, what about abuse? What about a, a, emotional abuse? Nah, we, we're going to get to that next week. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, next week, the message is on this. The Lord's already given it to me unless he changes. Don't be an accessory to murder. <laughs> Don't be an accessory to murder. It's that we're, God never helps us sin because sin is death. That, that's why you felt neglected sometimes. It's because you wanted to do the sin thing, and he, he ain't going to be a part of that. You see? So, so it, it doesn't apply to, to those things, but he, he covers the, the sin in our lives. And then he asks us to do the, the same thing. And I can tell you that if you will go down this road with me over these next few weeks... You will find what it said in Scripture that you may have joy and that it will be full. You'll have full joy. Because I can tell you, if you want to keep inspecting dirt, you're never going to find joy. Because there ain't no joy in dirt. But if you will pursue finding the best in other people, the thing that motivates me at least, I think it is supposed to motivate us, is that that's what He did for me. That's what God did for me. How can I do anything else? You know, how, how can I be any other person? How can I not repent when it happens? That's what He's done for me. And it's changed me. You know the people that have changed me? The people who saw something in me and called it out. A man on the porch at Blackstock First Baptist Church when I was about seven years old, Wade Griffin. See, I still remember his name. You always remember the names of the people that see the gold in you. You always remember them. He was the director of missions for the Southern Baptists for this area. And I was about seven years old, and I walked out, and I was just minding my own business. And he looked at me, and he said, Son, you're going to be a preacher one day. I said, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> nope. No, I'm not. But I appreciate that. But you know those words burned in my heart. It did something. Planted something. He saw something that I didn't even see. That I, I tried to deny. When I got out of high school trying to figure out what to do, Brantley's father's a pastor. I served under him for 15 years. But I went to him after high school. I said, Steve, what should I do? There's a little bit of a tug to go into ministry, but then there's a lot of tug on me not to. He said, well, then run. <laughs> and see if you can outrun God. <laughs> and if you can't, then come back and be a pastor. I ran. Fell slam off a roof. About broke everything. And I said, okay, I'm done running. You always remember the people that see the good in you. I want to I challenge you for a moment. Sometimes these uncomfortable moments are good. That's when God does a great work inside of us. I, evaluate, I want you to evaluate if you're married. I want you to evaluate your spouse for just a moment. And I want to... <laughs> yeah, somebody giggled. <laughs> I want to ask you to look again. I want to I ask you to look again and see if you can find value and virtue in their life. And if not, then dig. 
If not, then dig. If you've gotten frustrated by your kids, maybe you got some older kids, you know, teenagers or adults, and now you don't have the same kind of control over them that you used to have. I want you to ask you to look again and find virtue in them. And as parents begin to, to call out the virtue that's in their life. I'm going to meddle for just a minute. I, I love this thing God is doing here where He put us together rich and poor and black and white. And people ask me all the time, how's it going? I said, it's going great because we're not focusing on our music or our messages. We're just focusing on learning to love one another. I want to ask you that if there's a race that you have a problem with, if there's an ethnicity that you have a problem with, a language group that you have a problem with, ask yourself if it's because all you see is faults and shortcomings. And if you need to dig for gold. If you need to look at another group of people. Maybe there's a group of people and they've been labeled a certain thing by the sin that's in their life. And that's all you see when you see that particular group of people. Can I challenge you that I believe Jesus would run to those people and have dinner with them? Because he said, if you're going to talk about them, you're talking about me. Because I done made myself part of them. Could you begin to see them as something more than that label that's over them? There are sometimes people in our life, and you're like, I get along with most people. I just don't get along with lazy people. Or liars. Or arrogant. Or cowards. Or you fill in the blank. Is that dirt or gym you're looking at? What is that? And do you need to look again? And then as we look again, will we not begin to see the things that God has put in people? This is the more excellent way. You hear me? This is the more excellent way. 